Welcome back to the Code Adam podcast. My name is Julia, and today I'm being interviewed by my husband, Daniel. He's been listening to my Ironwood stories for the past five years. He's been asking me some really juicy questions that we always catch when we're not recording. So today he's going to take over and ask me details of some of the abuse that we actually suffered at Ironwood. A lot of the people who've uh, appeared on the Code Adam podcast and a lot of the kids you've told me about get transported to these facilities by a company called Safe and Sound. So I was wondering if you could describe in in kind of detail your exp- your personal experience with Safe and Sound. What what is it like to be woken up at uh, three in the morning? What happens, but you know, just before you go to bed? What what are you feeling? What are you thinking? So I've shared the story with a few people, but I haven't shared it on the podcast in great detail. But I'm going to start with the day before I was actually legally kidnapped by safe and sound so it was valentine's actually it was february 14th and all i remember is getting a bunch of valentine's grams so like just little cards from my um peers at the time i'm in eighth grade i'm like about to get on my school bus this kid who was like you know flirting with me at the time gives me this candy gram he's like hey i got you a valentine's card and I open up the card and it has like a lollipop and inside the cards it says, do you want to be my girlfriend? Yes or no? Like literally middle school type shit, right? And I just waved at him and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll get back to you tomorrow. I eat the candy and like throw away the card on the, on the bus because I'm definitely going to tell this kid no. I wasn't interested. <laughs> and I go into my house. I don't really remember what I ate for dinner. You know, I don't really remember interacting with my family that night, but I went to bed. I'm, I'm like fully thinking about like, how am I going to tell this guy no as I'm going to sleep this night? You know, fast forward, it's four in the morning and my mom's waking me up and she says to me, I'll, I'll remember she says to me, sweetheart, you have to wake up now. People are going to, are here to take you to your new school. I remember her saying it, but like immediately after she says it, I'm like back to sleep. And I don't know how long between when she woke me up and told me this into the time that like all the lights in my room were on. And then there were just two men, like men standing in my doorway telling me to wake up and get out of bed. And so then like, I obviously woke up because now all my lights are on in my room. There's two strangers standing in my doorway and they're like telling me to get dressed because I'm like half dressed. And I remember just trying to get my iPod so I could communicate with my friends, but they wouldn't let me. So what are you thinking at that point? Do you remember? I know obviously it's a long time ago. I remember thinking like, okay, these people are taking me away. Like I just knew that that was what was happening. So like, they didn't even tell me like anything. They were like, we're here to take you to your new school. Like come with us. And I was just so like distraught. I remember asking, where's my bag? I need to pack my stuff. And they like pulled my school bag that I had used that day. And they were like, oh, all your stuff's in here. We packed it for you already. And like, I was so in shock that I was just like, oh yeah, okay. But then immediately after that thought, remembered like, that's my school bag. Like, that's just my school books. What do you mean? And then I was like, can I just like get my stuff? And at this point they had already grabbed my arms so when you say school, you in your head, you're imagining a regular boarding school where you can take possessions, take stuff. Like college type dorm rooms, kids my age, having my own room, like Zoe 101, like boarding school, like that's really cool. And there's like music and stuff. I don't know. I just, I was imagining, okay, whatever, like. So in that moment, 
when you realized you weren't allowed to have any to take any possessions or pack a bag or grab any stuff and they had you by the arms that's when sort of things presumably changed for you in your mind in that moment i think i knew i was like in just shock and i knew that they were not going to be nice to me by the way that they were grabbing my arms because i was kind of trying to pull away from me and every time i like kind of moved away they just held on like tighter and i was like so tiny and like i just wasn't i was already so depressed like i just didn't have any fight in me and i just remember like all right they got my arms they're massive people like i don't get to bring anything with me when i like as they like escort me out of my house so they just brought me down the stairs, through my kitchen, out the garage, and then I was being put in the van. And so obviously, um, I know the house that you're talking about. And I know that your sister's room is right over the hall. Was she aware of what's going on? Do you remember sort of um, her being there? Because I know that if it was my sibling and this had happened, I'd be pretty distressed. So my sister was, her door was closed. All the doors were closed. I remember coming out of the room. They both had my arms were your parents there when you came out? My parents' bedroom was closed. There was nobody there as they took me away. So it was the last person I saw with my mom waking me up. That was before anybody else was in my room. So my sister was nowhere. My dog's nowhere. My parents' doors are closed. Like everybody's doors are closed. And I'm just being taken out of my house, like down the stairs, through the hallway, out the garage, into the van. I remember they put me specifically in like a spot that I wasn't able to move away from them. She was massive, like probably 6'4" big lady and she sat next to me and just like squished me up uh and so there was no way I could have like gotten out of the van like she just had me and at this point she did pull out like um handcuffs but they weren't like normal handcuffs they were like like they were like zip ties so she put a zip tie around my wrist and she didn't actually like zip it up she just basically like threatened me she was Mm -hmm. just like I don't want to have to zip tie you you didn't restrain like you didn't like um resist when we brought you in here i don't think you're going to be a problem but i'm just letting you know like we have these and we will use them if you give us any problems and i was like i just like rolled my eyes at her and like she kind of took them off my hand and then i made sure to look out the window so that i wouldn't make eye contact with her so you you didn't sort of there was no goodbye with the family it was no wave through the window it was just Mm -mm. at this point i'm in a van now the flashbacks I have specifically about that moment, I remember leaving, like backing up through the driveway in this van, looking out the window. And then I can like picture that like my mom's garden so vividly and like leaving that neighborhood. And I just knew, like I knew that that was going to be the last time I was going to be there for a while. And I was like taking it in because they were like slowly backing out and then we were leaving. And I just remember taking it in the last look of my neighborhood because I literally knew like, I knew in that moment, like, all right, this is the last time I'm going to see home for a while. I knew it. And from there, you you now are in this van with these strangers for how, how many hours? I was in the van with these people for 13 hours, 14 hours. They offered me cigarettes. They offered me snacks and potty cigarettes. breaks. Cigarettes? Yeah, I was 14 years old, and they okay. were offering me cigarettes. And what were you thinking at this point? Because obviously you've had time to, the shock has worn off slightly you've got you've had some time to process what's happening what's going through i was 14 year old julia's mind at this point looking back i definitely was in fight or flight like i refused to eat i refused to use the bathroom i refused to speak to them like i was holding in pee and i was refusing to eat and i was just scared i was like i just want to get to wherever we're going i don't know where i'm going i didn't ask about where i was going 
they just kept saying stuff like, oh, like you better eat whatever you, we're going to buy you whatever snack you want now. Like you better get it because where you're going, they're not going to have snacks. And then they just kept saying, oh, like, oh, it's nice. There's like horses and stuff, even though I wasn't asking. And like, as a, all of this is happening, like I'm looking out the window and I'm just noticing the license plates change. So at least I knew like, okay, I'm in New York. Okay, I'm in Connecticut. Okay, I'm in Vermont. Now I'm in Maine. And then like, you know, the highways turned into small roads and then I was at Ironwood. And as soon as I got to Ironwood, um, they handed me two letters from my parents and they were like, oh, here's these letters like your parents wrote you. You better read them now because you're not going to be allowed to read them once you get into this place. And I just remember thinking, I don't give a fuck what my parents have to say. I'm not reading these letters. Like, just take me out of this van already. I'm ready to go. Like, I'm ready to go wherever I need to go. I was, like, scared of, like, the situation I was in and, like, the fact that I didn't know where I was going. And I honestly hated the way they were treating me. But they literally just live close to a few programs in Maine and then they get paid hella money, drive down, fly down to wherever these kids are and bring them to these programs. Cause it's like easier for them to do it versus parents. Um, Cause they basically, the programs tell parents like this is the easiest method of getting your kid into these programs. Like they're not gonna resist. They're not gonna fight you back. It's safer for them. These people are professionals. They're trained. They know how to like restrain your child without killing them. So you, it's better that you just put it in our hands versus taking your kid themselves. Right. So like lie to your kid and like set up the appointment and we'll just blindside them and goon them. That's the word that treatment kids say is we call them the goons because you don't know they're coming. It's legal for people to send them on you and you just get gooned. I actually tried to get on this podcast and um, she refuses to see it as kidnapping. She's like, I just hate it when people say it's kidnapping. It's not. It's it's le- it's legal. I'm just transporting these kids. Uh, she and she also. I remember having a conversation with her, where she tried to like defend safe and sound because she's like, oh well, we don't use restraints like other you know like other transport companies. They use blindfolds and they handcuff you and they put you in a bag over your head and all this other shit and beat you up if you're bad. Like we don't do that. And I beg to differ because I've heard so many safe and sound stories from kids who went there when I was there. And like, if you're if you're trying to get away, like they're going to just do whatever they need to do to to settle you and keep you in the van. Like they don't care. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, how good of a transport company you think you are. You're still like traumatizing kids to get them to a point A to point B that is not consensual. So um, the name of the podcast is Code Adam. Yeah. Um, you've explained what code atoms are. So code atom is the radio call that goes out if a kid tries to escape. You've spoken on the podcast a small amount about your code atom story. Did you want to go into any more detail? So I've always been interested in what you know what ha- what happened. So my code atom, and the reason I named it code atom is because some of the worst stories I ever hear about Ironwood come from code atoms and. What is a code atom again? It is when a kid's run, trying to run away. And they basically put the entire campus on lockdown. So every resident is then put with a staff and they're put on code of silence, which means nobody's allowed to speak. The staff that stay with the residents put their radio on whatever line that is not involved in the code atom. And then all staff who are on hand go and run and look for this child. So some staff are sat in front of a door keeping kids silent while all these other staff are running after whoever is trying to escape. 
if a kid gets far away, they can send the dogs and police and it gets really intense and really scary. But there's been so many like traumatic Code Adams. Mine was probably on the minor side and it started with salty oatmeal. And I still joke about like how ridiculous this story is because it literally was over oatmeal that was too salty. And I, I really, to this day, do not know if it was an accident or if it was maliciously done on purpose to like prove a point. Right. But... So part of the Ironwood experience that I've picked up is this, this idea of you just being grateful and accepting what you've got and, and eating it. And this, this oatmeal that you've told me about before was inedible. Yeah. Do you think that it is possible that they deliberately made it inedible or realize that it was and just thought, okay, this is a good test. This is a good moment for them. So when I like, think back to it, so there were two staff involved in the breakfast speaking that day and one definitely couldn't have been involved, but the other one, I definitely wouldn't put that over his head. Like I, that would seems like something he would do. And I'll give another example of a story that, that makes me think this, but he purposely sat down and had a bowl full before he told us and gave us the command to eat. And he was watching our faces when it was happening. And so that's the only reason why I think it was done intentionally because this staff member had a bowl of oatmeal in front of him, sat down, gave us the command that we were allowed to eat. I put the first spoonful in my mouth, spit it out and was like, this is not edible. It's so salty. And then he like made it a point to be like, no, you need to be grateful for your food. It's palatable. And then continue to like eat a bowl of oatmeal in front of us to prove a point that like we should be grateful for being fed. And so you're saying you think it's possible that he had a a perfectly um, normal taste in bowl of oatmeal whilst you guys all had very salty oatmeal. Potentially. Potentially. I mean, I I honestly don't know. So I know that you've um, been in contact with some anonymous former staff members. Has any of them mentioned that they would uh, either deliberately make bad food or see any accidental bad meals as sort of a part of the learning process of gratitude or or however they uh, um, package it? I did receive a message from staff and they were, I'm going to read this because I have it posted on my Instagram page, but they basically sent me a picture of like this really disgusting looking pasta. I don't, I honestly cannot tell you what this is. If you go on my Instagram and you like scroll down, you'll see this like moldy looking like bin of food, but it, it looks to be like spaghetti and maybe meatloaf, something black material, salsa on top and like weird crusty looking pieces of bread. It doesn't look like something you would want to eat. Um, and I received this message of a picture of this food with with a staff from a staff who said, this is a picture of a lunch not prepared by me. It was made by one of the male staff in particular. His intention was to make it as disgusting as he could. Roughly 25 kids went from breakfast that day, 7 a.m. to 5.30 p.m. with two small snacks in between, which clearly isn't enough for a growing teenager. So staff know that this is happening. Staff can see that there are other staff who are intentionally like, malicious okay so back to the potentially uh bad salty oatmeal what happens how did that lead to your code adam so when i was at ironwood 10 years ago they would make us eat all the food on our plate and if we did not eat all the food on our plate we were served that same food for the next meal and if we still refused to eat it then we were put on isolation and isolation could could last one day two days three days basically whenever they thought you had served your punishment so basically, I was like, I'm not eating this. Like, I'm not going to eat this. Can you guys just make more oatmeal? 
And they were like, no, you're going to eat it. And if you don't eat it, we'll serve it to you for lunch. And I was like, well, I'm not going to eat it for lunch either. So you can just put me on reflection. Because I already knew that that was the rule at that point. I was like, good, just, I'll just go and put myself on reflection then. Because I'm not, like, I'm not going to eat this. And I already know that's the punishment. So go on and put me on reflection then. Because I was already level one, didn't care, had nothing to lose. So sorry, putting you on reflection, it's talked about a lot in the podcast. On reflection is, just to quickly remind everybody, outside, by a fire. Yeah, isolation's a reflection circle. It's basically the st- modeled after the Turnabout Ranch uh, version where they sit in TP circles out in the Arizona heat. Well, in Maine, it's like a gazebo in the cold winters of Maine. So you're basically just put out in the cold where everybody can see that you're being punished and you're not allowed to make eye contact. You're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to eat anything that they think is nice. They basically just give you the worst amount of um, punishment and it sucks it sucks to do because you're there from eight in the morning until 8 p.m out in the cold next to fire you're not allowed to shower when you get in it just sucks like you're just restricted from everything and you're just put in such a weird position because everybody can see you being punished okay so it's sort of shame and it's cold yeah it's just uncomfortable um but you think okay you know that's your punishment so you say just put me on reflection. Yeah, just put me on isolation. I don't give a fuck at this point. I'll, I'll sit in the cold versus like eating this oatmeal. It's disgusting. I'm not going to eat it. They were like, okay, whatever. Go COS, shut up. Just stop talking, basically, is what I was told. COS is the acronym for code of silence. Code of silence, right. yeah. You're not allowed to speak. Shut up. It's basically what it means. And so I spent the rest of the breakfast staring at the oatmeal that I wasn't going to eat, waiting for everybody else to finish trying to eat it. I watched every girl swallow it down like a pill because they didn't want to go on isolation. And I was kind of mad. I kind of thought other people would kind of like follow my lead and, you know, just be like, yeah, fuck this oatmeal. Like, I bet I watched girls like sit there and just cry as they like put it into circle balls and like swallowed it with their water. Really? <laughs> yeah. Actually? Actually, yeah. Because I know you've mentioned before that being in the Ironwood kind of regime, food becomes a, a big deal. Each meal is, is sort of a, um, a moment of relief, a bit a bit of pleasure. So if it's a bad meal, that's a, a double kind of trauma because it's taken out the one kind of pleasure of the day, sort of. Yeah, it just sucks because you get really hungry. They have you do a lot of physical labor at these places. So you like, you get really excited about the food, even if it's just a salad, even if it's just like oatmeal. Like I used to, I was used to get, I was like so excited about oatmeal that day, even though you don't get syrup, even though it's not flavored at all. Like I just like the texture and I, it just was one of the better foods that we got instead of dried cereal. So I was pretty upset about this oatmeal. I was pretty mad. I'm not going to lie. I felt like this was pretty much like abuse. It was like the first time I was like, no, you're not going to force feed me this. No. I'm going on isolation. I don't care. So breakfast ends. They're trying to get me to do chores now. Like you're supposed to clean up after breakfast. I'm like, no, I'm not doing your chores. Like I'm going to go on isolation. Where's Who's going to come put me on isolation? Like I'm done. You're not feeding me that shit. You're not feeding it to me on reflection either. You're going to give me apples or I'm going to go ape shit. <laughs> so you're, you're in a full on moment of rebellion. Though. Yeah, I'm so mad now. I'm like, no, I will like go out in the fridge and take my apples for reflection. How about that? Because I'm not going to like starve. I, I was so hungry and I didn't want to eat this oatmeal. And they were like, Julia, here, take this rag, shut up and start dusting the floorboards. And I was like, no, I'm not going to dust these floorboards. You guys are pissing me off now. Like, I'm not just put me on reflection at this point. Like, I was getting so mad. And they were like, just like there was only two staff around. So there was like five, six girls. And they were just trying to like tell everyone what to do. And I was just getting more and more upset. So I decided to walk outside. Like I wasn't going to run away. I was just walking outside onto the porch the balcony or whatever 
just to get some fresh air and to like for them to like send a staff to basically take me and put me on reflection. And like in that moment, they're like, code Adam, like I'm running away, even though I was literally like just stepped outside. Like I'm not even running. I'm not even walking anywhere. I literally just stepped outside and they're like, code Adam, code Adam. Right after they said that on the radio, I could hear them because I was like right there. It's not like I was running away. Like I heard them call, call the code Adam on the radio. She's like, code Adam. And I'm like, what the fuck, bitch, where? And <laughs> then the next thing I know, there's like three giant men running down the hill after me, like towards me. And I'm like, oh, shit, <laughs> what are they about to do? So I start walking now. I'm like, yo, 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 like backing up, walking backwards. And they kind of corner me. There's one in front of me, one on the side, one in the middle. And so I'm surrounded by like three giant male staff at this point. And they're like, what are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I'm not like, I'm just trying to get some fresh air. Like I'm trying to explain the situation. I'm like, I didn't want to eat the oatmeal, blah, 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 blah. And then Jason, one of the younger staff who was in this situation, like just comes up, grabs my neck, kicks my feet from under me. And I fully land like face first on the ground, cut my lip, cut my tongue. And then I just started bawling. Like it was just so embarrassing. Like it was so embarrassing to like just have this like full grown man not listen to me explain myself and then just come and like kick my feet out from under me and shove my face in the ground and then hold me there. He literally held my neck there in the ground for probably like a minute. And then one of the female staff came out and they were like, all right, get her up, get her up. Like, come on. Like you're making a scene now. Basically they were telling me to tell him. So he got me up. He pulled me up by the arms. I'm still crying. They probably, they bring me into a, a bunk because they're not going to put me on reflection because I'm bleeding now all over my face. So they keep me in the bunk that nobody was using at this time. Like nobody was in there and they're trying to clean up my face and they put me with a staff that I actually liked. They were like, okay, what staff can we put her with? That's going to calm her down now. So they found a staff that I actually liked and like, I'm just in shock now, like just been fucking manhandled and for literally no reason in my opinion. And like now I'm bleeding all over my face, just bleeding. And then I spent the next like five days in isolation. Already here, the safe and sound transport experience and that experience of being restrained are quite uniquely traumatic experiences, which most people will never experience. So I've never been restrained and I've never been woken up in the middle of the night by strangers and taken away in a van and not told, been told what's happened, essentially been kidnapped. So on that, um, during uh, during those, that story, you mentioned code of silence quite a lot. Code of silence or COS comes up. Um, in a lot of episodes in the Code Adam podcast. So you're able to shed a bit of light on that. What is Code of Silence? What does it mean? What does it look like? So Breaking Code Silence is actually pretty deep. It's a, It goes a lot deeper than you're not allowed to talk because when you're on Code of Silence, it means you're not allowed to speak. You're not allowed to make eye contact. You're not allowed to have any type of body language. When you're on Code of Silence, you're supposed to look down, you're holding your hands like in a prayer position and you're just, you're silent. No eye contact, no body language. So sorry, that's, so that's just something they would announce. So during your oatmeal story, you said yeah. uh, that the staff announced Code of Silence. Would that then fall to everyone? So it depends. So if they say, Julia, you're on Code of Silence, it means only Julia is not allowed to speak right now or, not or she's not speak, allowed, not to, allowed to make eye contact. Yeah, she's not allowed to con contribute to any discussion that's being talked about. So whether that be okay. chores, whatever, I'm not allowed to, to communicate. I'm not allowed to do anything. If the group is on Code of Silence, then it just means everybody is not allowed to make eye contact, speak or body language with anyone until the staff says otherwise. But it goes deeper than that. So even if you're not on Code of Silence, you're not allowed to speak unless you're told you're allowed to speak. So if you're not on code of silence and there's a 
conversation happening. And it's, again, the only conversations we'd be allowed to have are about chores or about therapy or about um, school. So you're not allowed to talk to any of your peers about anything before you were in this program, after this program. Like you're not allowed to talk about your family, your boyfriend, your last name. You're not allowed to talk about like anything that doesn't relate to chores, school, therapy. Um, So even though you're not on code of silence there, you already know that you're not allowed to talk about literally anything that is going to like show your personality or show who you are or show what you've been through. Um, so you have no idea why any of the kids in, that are there are there. Like you're not allowed to know. You're not allowed to talk to them about it. You're not allowed to communicate anything other than chores, like I said. And if you're um, telling anything about yourself that the staff don't like, they say, oh, you're telling a war story, which is a term they used a lot. And they basically would say, like, if you're talking about music you like or like the type of drugs you used to take, anything that's like not supposed to be Ironwood appropriate, like you got caught telling a war story and then you get punished. Wow. So that's how deep code at the code of silence is because um, you're basically on code of silence all day. And the only time you're allowed to not be on code of silence is if you are talking to a staff. And a lot of the times like being off of code of silence look like this. Me raising my hand. A staff is like, what what do you need? And I'm like, I'm just advocating for the mail. We didn't get mail yesterday. And I was just hoping you know, if you were able to give us mail and based on if the staff thought that I was, I don't know, like it just, it was all like a game. It was all a mind game. Like if the staff thought I was being genuine, then she would be like, okay, and get this, get us the mail. And then if the staff didn't think so, she'd be like, yeah, you're, you are trying to pull one over on me. Like you're just being greedy, stuff like that. So it really depended on like how you communicated and communication became such a brainwash i want to say brainwashing is the only word that comes to my mind when when it's involving communicating at ironwood because you just basically get brainwashed into saying like okay i have to ask to step in and out of a doorway i have to ask to sit and stand i can't even pour water without asking like i cannot speak without asking like i can't talk about things even if i am speaking so you just already start to suppress your yourself and your personality and you're like okay what's acceptable what can i get away with where i'm not going to get punished like, what am I able to get away with where I will not get punished? And the rules are always changing all the time. And there's like, depending on what staff you have, depending on like what mood someone's in, depending on how the group's behaving. So it really doesn't even depend on you sometimes. Like if a girl's trying to move up in the program, a lot of the times they'll snitch on you for stuff you didn't even do. Just to be like, oh, I'm on Ironwood's team. Like, I know how this game's played. I, I'm going to get rewarded for snitching or telling on a peer because it puts me ahead and it makes me look like a goody goody it just gets so fucked up like the way that i had to communicate it to the point where like the girls in the program that i was with you spend so so many months with them where you're not allowed to actually speak to them and you can just you just know what they're thinking based on like the way they look on the the way they look at you like we literally felt like war veterans at that point like to be able to like communicate without making body language and by just giving a look it's just so weird so you're really not underestimating when you say the code of silence goes a lot deeper than what what you might have imagined if you're not in the program from hearing it 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 might just sound like okay shut up everyone for now just shut up for now but really you're on a constant communication band because you're not allowed to talk about anything it sounds like this did this extend to your bunks because i know that you obviously it was a boarding school so you must have had privacy in your bunks no no privacy in the bunks So in the bunks, they have two cameras on either side watching you while you sleep. And then in the middle of the bunk room is an actual staff 
they call them the night staff, who monitors you on the camera. Like they also have baby monitors in the rooms. So the only girls that got away with it were the sleep talkers really. <laughs> yeah, they just had a, they had night staff come check the rooms like three times a night, make sure everybody was uh, asleep, no, no privacy. And yeah, like with the whole meeting those girls the first time after 10 years being in the program and the, with them, that was the first time I got to hug them and like just smile and laugh with them and like eat real food with them and like- So sorry, you would be punished for smiling at someone or would that would that be a breach of of the communication? Oh my role? god! If I if I if I was caught smiling at one of the girls on Code of Silence, or if I was caught smiling at one of the girls and the staff didn't know why, I would immediately get punished because they would think, okay, they they talked out of why are you smiling at them if you didn't communicate? What are you communicating where there's a smile going on? And then there's punishment because I got caught communicating on like when I wasn't asked when I didn't ask permission to communicate or if we were on code of silence it would be a worse punishment so no smiling was only for pictures for them to send home to your parents so sorry just to stick with this how how far did this go are we talking so i know that obviously we've all experienced moments where you're in a group uh, maybe something happens or you look at someone maybe you raise an eyebrow catch eye contact make a sort of face or is that is it yeah, that any deep? of that how? any of that stuff yeah if you make raise an eyebrow like there was this one time so I've, I've spoken about my um, my suicide attempt at Ironwood. I tried to kill myself at Ironwood and I was in the hospital for like three days and then they put me in a psych ward for another two days. So I was gone from Ironwood for like five days after spending like five months with the girls, you know, in this like really weird situation where we're just making eye contact, like we're building this really weird relationship with each other, even though we know nothing about each other. You know, we're basically sisters at this point, but like it, it was like the weirdest relationship, but I felt like, I knew these girls so well at this point, even though it was only like a couple months in. Um, and I came back, was sent on isolation and the girls got in trouble because they like just, they hadn't seen me in five days. And obviously that's like a pretty big deal when you're stuck in these programs because nothing changes in your day to day. Like if somebody leaves, that's all you're thinking about that whole day. You're like, where did they go? So would they have had any information? So sorry, just to put this into perspective, this was, you had a suicide attempt at, at Ironwood. Everyone would have known about that. You were taken off to hospital. So nobody knows about it other than the girls who might've seen me run off right. with a knife, but. So they wouldn't, they wouldn't have announced, right, this has happened with Julia. She's gone to hospital for a few days. She'll be back, but she's okay, don't worry. Yeah, no, they didn't say anything about me. They were like, basically just like, there were a couple girls I heard afterwards that, you know, were crying for me. And they just, obviously the girls who saw me run away with a knife were pretty upset. And like, that was pretty traumatic for them. And I'm sorry that I did that, but. I did hear stories that they were like, you know, pretty upset in the bunks. And this upset obviously upset the other girls because the other girls who didn't see what happened, like, are like, why are they so upset? Like, where's Julia? Like, and nobody's telling them what's going on. Nobody's communicating with them. So obviously, like, they do that because it's like they say this quote a lot when you're at Ironwood. Uh, if it doesn't pertain to your program, don't worry about it. Like, if it doesn't involve you, don't worry about it. It's your program is what you focus on. Anything else that happens with anyone else is not your concern. So they're just supposed to just forget about me because they're focused on their program. Even though I'm just like ran off, everybody's really upset. There's been this like horrible code atom that's been going on for like however long. And then I've just been gone five days and now I'm back in the group and I have stitches in my arm. And the one girl who had it, like as soon as I got off isolation, one of the youngest girls who was in the program with me, she just looked at me like, like, are you okay? 
And it wasn't even like she said anything. She just had the like eyes of like, and you know what that those eyes are. You could look at anybody you know and you love, a best friend, your sister, your mom, and look at them with that look of concern. Like, you good, right? You can imagine the look. And she did that. She just looked at me like with like a little bit of a head nod. And I just remember being like, yeah, I'm good. Like in like with the body language back to her and that little bit of body language, we both got caught and they pulled us both aside and they they basically like were like, no more of this. If we see you try to communicate about this again, you're both on isolation. She just got off isolation. Leave her alone. Basically, this girl, they were just like, leave her alone. None of that. This is your program. Do not like go behind our backs and talk. <laughs> we weren't even talking. That's like the sad thing. So. So sticking with the theme of communication, uh, it's been mentioned in the podcast before, but if you could go into more detail about the process of communication with the outside world. So uh, obviously it sounds like the safe and sound process just snatches you away from your life. You, you don't get to tell anyone you're going anywhere. Are you able to, can you communicate with the outside world? Can you talk to your friends, family? How does it work? So the only way that you could communicate at ironwood is through letters and the only people that are allowed to write to you are your parents and anyone that your parents say are allowed to write to you so for me the only people i was allowed to communicate with were my parents my sister my grandma um and that's decided by by my mom and dad so whoever my parents give stickers to because the only way you're allowed to receive mail is if ironwood gives you stickers and they have to have like the Ironwood logo on them. And basically you just put those stickers on and send them to your kid and they have to have like the correct return address. Um, so those pre-approved people get stickers, the people writing to you? Yes. Okay. So that's like via like um, mail, but then also my parents are allowed to email me and the staff print out the emails and can give them to me daily. Um, and they encourage parents to like send quotes daily because a lot of kids get really sad if they don't get mail every day because it's something that you really look forward to. So every day, like you're really looking forward to mail because it's just something from the outside world. And sometimes your parents will tell you, oh, like this happened. Your dog's doing this way. You really, really look forward to mail because it's your only communication with the outside. Like you're not even allowed to have a phone call. I think that's the most fucked up thing about these, pro these programs is if somebody were to have actually hurt me while I was there. Like if somebody was to have really done something abusive, like to the point of I'm not safe here. Like, there's no way I could have just been on the phone with my mom and been like, mom, this is what's happening to me. Like, I have nobody who's actually able to advocate for me who, who like, truly loves and cares about me. So I have no access to just, like, even 911 or, like, a phone call to my parents. There's no phone. So I think that's, like, that was pretty fucked up. Like, if there was a situation where, like, Jason, the staff who did restrain me, if there was, like, a situation where, like, you know, he was, like, hurting me really bad or, like, you know, threatened me or, like, something really, like, malicious and scary, there's not a way I could call 911 or there's not a way I could call my mom because that's not available to you when you're in these programs. You can write a letter and the staff either are, like, okay, this is a good letter, we'll send it back because they read your letters. So basically, if you mention in the web letter, like, oh... I was restrained or, oh, I'm on reflection because of this. They would tell you, be truthful, say what really happened. And I remember writing about the whole Jason restraining me. I was like, oh, like I tried walking out because of the oatmeal. And they were like, you're lying. Like, tell tell the truth. Like, you, you walked away and you didn't ask to go out. And you know better. And like, you couldn't have just waited for a staff. Like, we would have brought you out to isolation, but you decided to leave. And they were like, and you decided to like put your foot out at jason like jason tried to say, try to like change the story and be like oh i tried to kick him 
when he kicked my feet out from under me, like as I fell, like he tried to switch the story up. Like he had every right to just like pin me to the ground. And I was just like, what the fuck? So they were like, no, you can rewrite it. And I was just like, damn. So after that moment, I was like, okay, well, I know that I'm not going to be allowed to say X, Y, Z to my mom and dad. Otherwise they're going to just crumple it up and throw it away. So I didn't feel like there was like honest communication between my parents and I when I was there. Because then presumably as time goes on in the program, you your next web letter, which is what an email, a web letter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your next uh, web letter or email becomes, you're like, okay, I'm not going to be able to say that. So I won't put that in. It just sucks because it's like they would force you to write to your parents as well. Like if you didn't complete at least two letters a week to your family, they, you'd go on isolation. So you just knew, okay, I have to write letters. And then it becomes like you have a prompt in your head at some point. You're like, okay. Dear mom and dad, this is how my week went. These were the highs. These were the lows. I did well in therapy. School wasn't so bad. Like you just get a script at that point. You're like, okay. And it just becomes repetitive. You're like, okay, I know how to write these letters. I know what's going to make staff happy. I know what's going to make my parents happy. Okay. So I think now would be a good time to perhaps go into a bit more detail about the Ironwood level system. So I know it's been mentioned a lot in passing throughout the um, various episodes of the podcast. I know that you mentioned it on the Code Anim Instagram page, but could you go into a bit of detail surrounding the kind of the leveling system? I know that there's two campuses. There's the Fry campus, which is what everyone goes on first. Yep. Levels one and two. And then the farmhouse is levels three and four. So So the idea, sorry to interrupt, the idea is of Ironwood obviously is to ascend through the levels. You'd start off at level one, graduate at level four. Yes. Okay, cool. So talk us through level one, level two, Fry, how it works, how you go up, the differences between the levels. So I want to first start off by saying Ironwood is a massive campus. It's massive. There's like miles and miles of land to walk through, forest to walk through. And when you first get there... The campus seems pretty small because it's two cabins, a lodge, and then two school yurts. The cabins in the lodge are, they're pretty close. But you walk through, and when you walk through to the yurts, to the cabins, in the middle of all that is where everybody's being isolated and punished. So it's like really interesting the way the campus is set up. It's basically like shame the person and see the person who's being punished. And it's really weird. I always thought that was weird because you're not allowed to look at them. Like, you know, you see them there being punished. You could be like, oh, that, this guy is getting punished today. Blah, 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 blah. And would you Um, say shame is kind of a consistent element of the punishment at Ironwood? Oh my God, yeah. So a lot of the punishments were always to shame. You either have to like, if you forgot a water bottle, then you had to carry 10 water bottles. Everybody can see that that is a punishment, that you are being punished. Like same thing with if you didn't tuck in your shirt properly, they'd make you wear like these like weird belt thingies just to basically embarrass you and punish you. It's just like any little thing that you think you, you forget a hat you know, now you have to carry everybody else's hat. Like all of this weird shit. Like, you know, if somebody's being punished, you see it happening and they do a specific punishment that like makes you, uh, it, it it singles you out and everybody in the group is like, okay, yeah, they're being punished. So when you're, when you're on the, the main kind of what sounds like one of the main punishments, the isolation, which is sat in the cold, which I think, again, just to put into context, uh, if, if you're in the cold of Maine, it's, it's very cold, isn't it? We're talking sort of near freezing temperatures in the winter or below yeah. freezing. So, so being sat outside is very unpleasant. Yeah, and you're not allowed to sit. You're not allowed to lay down. You have to right. sit in the same spot. You have to just like look. You can't. And where? so where is that in relation to everything? Is that 
Can everyone see that? Everyone at all times can see that. Or? You can see it from your bed. You can see it from the cabin windows. You can see it from the school windows. Like as you're walking to school, you can see who's on. Like it, it's just right in the middle of the campus for level ones and twos. Okay. So the, so the campus level, level one, one and two is a pretty small campus, and it's all right there. You know, everything's pretty close, so that all the staff can keep eyes on at all times. Whether it be the boys' group or the girls' group, if they're in school, if they're not, everybody can kind of see everything from all buildings. Okay, and so just to to explain the levels a bit more, what's the difference between a level one and a level two? So level one, you have no. Well, this has changed. So when I was there ten years ago, you had to earn mattresses, pillows. I don't think that that's a thing anymore, but I also know that they do take away mattresses and pillows as punishment. So even though you don't have to earn it anymore, they still can take it away. So it's it's changed up a little bit. But when I first went there, you have to earn those things by leveling up to level two. Once you earn level two, you can get a mattress, you can get a pillow. If your parents let you, they'll send you a electric razor and you can shave for the first time because level ones are not allowed. I spent a total of five, month, five months on level one, but that was also... You were five months on level one. So is that five months without a pillow and mattress? Yeah. Five months. And I also think it's interesting because when I was level one, it took me three months, four months to get to level two, but I lost level two and then spent another month on isolation. And that was a frustrating thing to have them pull my mattress out off my bed and put it back up in the loft and then bring down the yoga mat and tell me to sleep on your arm so you, you don't get a pillow you're not you're you're literally sleeping. i mean for 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 five months that's that's an ordeal that's bad that's sleep deprivation that's uncomfortable you get used to it it sucks to even say that but like there were when i got home there was times when i like would just get home and i was like whoa these pillows are too comfy like i don't know how to use them and i would just move them and sleep on my neck like it was weird so level two is really just the pillow and mattress you're still on that initial campus under the same sort of rules not being able to talk everything's quite tightly controlled staff are a little bit nicer to you they treat you like your leaders more so you get a little bit more respect from the staff the staff aren't as like shitty to you. You're not being watched as closely. They're giving you more opportunities to speak. Like that's what level two is. Level two is like people are being nicer to you. So is there anything that symbolizes this difference in level? Like are you, do you have like a different hat or like a... It's colors. So we start off in orange and then you, just, uh, then you level up to purple. Oh, another thing. We had to hand wash our clothes outside when you're level one. So you have to take a bin and like a washboard and like wash your clothes out in the cold. And sometimes like it sucks because the soap would just not come out of the clothes or you just couldn't do it really well. It's very hard to hand wash clothes. Like it's a really like tiring process and it's like doesn't really work very well. The washer and dryer is like in a separate part of the building that you're not allowed in if you're level one. So you just get to like use this little tiny room that like you are you were never allowed in before. And it is kind of a big deal because you're always like, oh, what's in there? Like, why does level two get to go into that room and like without supervision, even though there's a camera in there, like it's still like you're being given like permission to go into a space on your own without per- supervision so it is like a small slice of freedom yeah like it's a very sliver also you can take out recycling which is a very similar thing is you get like three minutes to like be in your own space where you're not being punished you're just taking out the recycling it's like a privilege so the ironwood um atmosphere in in level one is restrictive enough that three minutes of taking out recycling just where you can be by yourself and breathe is a a it feels noticeable it's a privilege yeah i remember that i remember being really happy and like they they were cheering me on actually like i remember it was my first time as level two 
um, being able to take the recycling out. And they were like clapping, like, good job, Julia. You got to level two. Look at you taking out that recycling as I like walked from the lodge up to the recycling bin and just put the recycling in the bin. And how are you feeling at this point? Are you in the moment? Do you remember feeling like, oh god i hate this but whatever or are you like yeah i'm taking the recycling out this is great i'm progressing like is it was a sigh of relief really yeah i mean that was i used that that little fucking bit of recycling as like my writing prompt for the next two weeks i was like it was such a privilege i totally understand now like i wasn't grateful for anything before like that's when they start to get you like i really was like oh god like if there is a god this is nice this isn't that bad like i'm just like i get a mattress like wow and then you know when you're in that situation you are trying to my brain anyway was like telling me like you know there's other people out there who don't have parents who are spending ten thousand dollars a month for you to like learn these lessons that you should learn because you are an ungrateful bitch and there are other people out there who are never gonna have mattresses and never have pillows and never be given food and they're struggling 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 so even though like i'm being abused like i'm still putting it into perspective i'm still saying well I am still privileged. Like, this is still a privilege. Like, I'm trying to survive. So my brain is saying, like, make excuses. This is okay. Because if uh, adults say it's okay, then it, why? Like, isn't it? Like, if adults are doing this to you, like, it is teaching you a lesson. Like, why did you never care about mattresses before? Like, why did you never, like, appreciate the fact that you just have, you know, all of these things that now are taken away from you? So it does start to brainwash you. Like, I guess that part of that where you're stuck in this like everyday rut of like oh like i didn't appreciate what i had before because it's all been taken away and you do blame yourself like what did i do and that is such a big part of the program of like shaming you and blaming you for your actions is to say like oh well you deserve this because you weren't grateful and you were going against authority and like your parents you were misbehaving in front of your parents all this stuff is like they're shaming you in the back of your head thinking oh yeah i do deserve to have these things taken away like i didn't earn anything in life so you just make excuses and that's when the brainwashing really does start because then you start to believe those thoughts you really think oh wow yeah like maybe i am a bad kid maybe i never really appreciated what i had until it was gone so it does start off slow but it becomes very real it seems like as someone who's been listening to the podcast every episode um, and I've, I've heard many stories from you, it seems like there is a two-way kind of street here. It's not just parents sending their kids off to, to be punished. They're, the parents are in some way misled by Ironwood's um, system. And things like uh, saying that you have to earn privileges. If you just say that, oh, these kids these you know who have problems with behavior need to earn privileges it doesn't sound that bad it doesn't sound abusive it doesn't sound you know even sounds quite you know fairly sensible or logical but when you think about what that is you know a kid who's a victim of trauma um who's sleeping on a, a yoga mat with no pillow for five months and then having to earn a mattress i think when you put it into perspective like that actually it's it's just a very brutal way of getting you to appreciate having a bed, having a duvet, having things that, you know, everyone else just takes for granted. And it's a way of of forcing you to sort of bury your trauma, I guess. Ironwood is like a very expensive band-aid that never really fixes a wound that needs stitches. Like you're just leaving like a really ugly ass scar for like these kids that could have gotten real treatment from professionals. Like you go into Ironwood with any kind of trauma and abuse and they're just like, all right, let's just pretend it's not there. Let's just cover it up. Right. So they're not addressing the trauma itself. They're just trying to correct the behavior that the trauma has caused. 
correct yeah. the bad behavior the trauma has caused perfect way to describe it yeah and so how are you graduate what are you doing after five months um what did you do to graduate from one to two would you say is it just so, consistently following rules yeah so you have to you have to uh comply in all three levels of school therapy and group activities or just chores basically you have to be doing very well in all three areas and then between you and your therapist you have to do a coming clean letter and then you have to write a letter explaining why you deserve level three so the coming clean letter the the way my therapist described it is you have to describe everything you've ever lied about cheated about misbehaved anything your parents don't know about you and with this we're gonna like find forgiveness and honesty and we're gonna start from a fresh page that's the way it was described to me it's like you just have to like write everything bad that you've ever did any lies you've ever did and then we're gonna like talk about it in a skype therapy session and we're gonna forgive each other and we're gonna start fresh that's the way it was described so i'm writing this letter i have to like read it out to my parents i don't really remember fully what i wrote i just remember like describing my sexual assault to them because i think that's like that's basically what they kind of made it out like they wanted from me is to like describe it to them that's like they kept mentioning like and referring to my assault but they would never like directly say it so it just like made me really confused i remember thinking okay like they just need to know the details because i was never able to speak about it up until that point it'd been a year after that assault i was 14 you know 13 when it happened i was 14 now turning 15 in this program so i remember writing it all like telling my parents and just thinking like this is weird but like okay i see what they're doing here that went okay that went fine like the way my therapist described it it did go the way that they described it like my parents were like we understand we're so sorry that happened and then they forgave me for all the other things i wrote down they were like we're gonna start over like it got got pretty emotional like i remember and then i had to stand up in front of all of the therapists and all of the staff who were there for my uh farmhouse meeting is what they called it and i basically was just like this is what i've learned in level one and two I'm so much stronger now. I'm never going to like hurt myself, cut myself again. Like just all of the things I knew were going to like get me up. All of the things like I knew they wanted to hear. And I got really good at writing. Like I was pretty good at being like, this is this. I think I actually believed, believed it too. Like I remember getting emotional and like the staff being like, yes, you did so well. Like with your writing prompt. And then it was basically a sit and wait until you know if you're going to get sent up or not. I was probably six months into... Yeah, six months into the level being in the first campus before they decided to tell me after a school, they were like, okay, Julie, getting set up, sign up, like get all your stuff, pack up all your stuff. And they gave me like a little bag and they were like, yeah, you don't need to worry about taking your colors up. We'll give you fresh colors up at the farmhouse. Just take your jeans, uh, take your journal, take your toothbrush. Like, I didn't have anything really. I had a toothbrush, a journal and some jeans to bring up. So I'm packing up my stuff. I'm pretty excited. Um, the whole time I'm thinking like, oh, when am I going to see the girls again? Like, when are these girls going to come up? Like, I, I was kind of nervous to go and be a part of a whole new girls group. And it was a much bigger campus. Like, it's a, basically I'm going from a tiny cabin to a giant house, to a giant, like, beautiful house with, like, a giant, beautiful kitchen and, like, a big barn full of horses. And, like, it was just a pretty, pretty, pretty house, like, on this really cool mountain that overlooked, like, all of the horses. So it was just, like, a really pretty area campus. Like, you got to see it. You would sometimes get to, like, go and get some hay for the ponies, but you never got to go inside. Like, up until this point, I had never gotten to go inside this place. I didn't know how they ran things. All I heard was like, they have better food. And and to, to put it into better perspective, like there were times when like farmhouse girls would come down to Fry to like talk to the girls in level one and two. 
And we would be like, what is it like up there? Like, tell us what it's like up there. And they're like, we're not allowed to talk about it, but just know it's better. And like, that's what they say to us. They'd be like, just know it's better. And they would like get in your face and be like, it's better. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh my God, tell us more. We're like, what kind of fruit do you have? I don't know. Stupid shit. But like, they could never tell us. They were just like, it's better. Trust me. Again, it's such a singular experience because you have to rem- remind yourself that this, we're talking about a 14 year old girl, victim of a traumatic experience that has now spent five months hearing stuff like that, you know, tales about this mythical place where you graduate to. So, okay, so level two, level three graduation, what does that look like? So they basically told me to pack up all my stuff and they lined up everyone on the campus to say goodbye to me. So all the girls from the group, they were lined up. You're not allowed to hug still. You get in trouble if you hugged me. You're not allowed to high five, none of that. You basically say goodbye. And like, as I'm walking up, like this was like a tradition that I watched them do to other residents, but they did it with me as well they just started putting rocks in my bag and it's supposed to just be to make your bag heavy because as I'm going up they're selling me I'm going up the farmhouse and a tradition is you walk up this trail that you're never allowed on up until you walk up to the farmhouse so it's just a specific trail that takes you from Fry to the farmhouse and so this is a whole ritual this is a whole ritual yeah like up until this point I was never allowed to use this trail I'd only ever seen people use this trail if they were going up or down to the farmhouse Either they're being sent down or, or sent up. Um, I've never been on this trail before. Everybody had just put a rock in my bag. They're like screaming now. They're like, bye, Julia. And, and how, it's just how like, long is this trail? It's a mile away. So this is it's a, like a mile hike. Yeah. So this is a, an hour? How, I'm sorry, I don't really walk. I mean, it just, <laughs> I was walking pretty fast. I was pretty excited. So like I walked halfway and then I was like, this is stupid. I'm taking the rocks out of my bag. So I did take a little break and t- talk about the rocks out of my bag. Um, if you're talking about taking the recycling out as being this this huge moment of you being on your own this must be yeah even bigger because you're on your own now for what like a 30 minute walk let's say then i guess that's actually like really interesting that you say that because this is probably the longest i've been alone up until this point for the past five months is the first time wow me walking up to the farmhouse and they do it that's like the thing it's like they're like okay we know she could run away but farmhouse knows i'm being received i'm supposed to follow this trail technically i could have gone off trail like into the woods or something but you know, I'm being sent up. Like, why would I do that? Yeah, right. At this point, you're you're fully involved in this ceremony. Yeah, I'm, about, I'm like, I'm about to Although you pancake. take the rocks, you take the, some of the rocks out because <laughs> yeah, you're a rebel. I did take some of the rocks out of my bag because I think they went a little bit overboard with it. <laughs> they did. They like put like 10 rocks in my bag and I was like, what the fuck? So I took some rocks out, finally get to the farmhouse and they're like sat on the thing. They're sat on the porch like with fucking... Um, sparklers they're sat on the sparklers. porch with sparklers like being like the... screaming like for me so these are the level three level four people that are already at the farmhouse so there was a ceremony for you to leave mm-hmm. and then i'm being received and then and you're being received okay so this whole thing is a very um big process so i've been received they show me my bunk such a nice bedroom you get to actually like close the door in the bedroom there's still cameras like there's still going to be a night staff watching you while you sleep it's not like not like you're not unmonitored and it's not like you get to talk to the girls about like their new war stories and stuff still either like you're still very much like not allowed to do any of that but i get received um they give me my my green colors i put them away like i get all my stuff sorted out they made dinner that night and then i remember like just taking in the farmhouse like the farmhouse compared to fry is so nice like it's so cute it's an actual house there's like dog beds so the dogs are up at fry so they have three dogs they had three lab dogs that stayed in the house like just you know walking around in the house like they just it looked like a cute house there's a library 
big ass kitchen, cute tables. Um, they had pictures of all the graduates upstairs. Boys slept upstairs, girls slept downstairs. And then um, they had a huge barn full of the horses. So sorry, this is probably a good point to mention that at Fry, are you, do you, you're kept separate from the boys at Fry? Is it sort of mixed? How, how does it work in terms so, of gender? You're still separated. So at Fry, you're way more separated from the boys than girls. Like you're not even allowed to look at the boys. So if the boys are passing by, they're like, girls, turn around. And so then really? once the boys pass by, then you're allowed to like continue walking. And then a lot of the times the boys group, obviously. Do like, the boys, sorry, do the boys ever have to turn around yeah, and stop? Yeah. Okay, boys turn so... around, girls are coming through. Same shit. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. So we were super, super separated at Fry. And the farmhouse, less so. Like the boys ate in a separate, like there's the dining area was like a little bit separated, but we would always have dinner together. Um, but the boys and the girls were still separated based on chores. So like up at the farmhouse, even though we would eat together for dinner, they would still have school one week while we cleaned the barn and then switched and then the same thing would happen the next week either the boys would have barn and the girls would cook and then we'd go to school so it really like sometimes we'd have school together with the boys but again you're not allowed to talk during school there's no talking during school you're not allowed to talk to boys at all really like the way that dinner was set up was a lot nicer than fry because instead of eating in silence with like three or four girls crying next to you you're like actually having somewhat of a conversation that's facilitated by staff so there's a lot more discretion for that like once you're in levels three and four like the staff will be like okay girls like let's go around the table and let's talk about like our favorite movies but keep it ironwood appropriate and you're still not allowed to talk in detail like you can just say certain things like oh my favorite fruit's this so you're allowed to share a little bit more like about yourself with the girls which was nice like you got to at least know like the person's favorite book their favorite color like before you're not really allowed to know anything about someone like at all so it was just nice to like feel more like i was in a community instead of like in a group of like prisoners being punished that was different it was totally different vibe and experience it definitely made me not want to get sent back down i was like i am not gonna get sent back down no because those privileges obviously mean so much after five months which is a long time so sort of a week of not having a mattress is is a big deal for me or if i'm say if i have to stay somewhere that isn't my own house uh and this is me in my adult life for even a short amount of time that's that's a, a big deal to me is it you know you're hugely put out so five months of no mattress uh having to hand wash clothes outside in the cold and having very strict restrictions on communication which is very hard even if you're not traumatized humans like to talk we like to communicate that's a huge part of the human um, experience. So yeah, these these privileges are, are huge. So at this point, we're really bought, bought into the program. Oh my God, yeah. Level two, I mean, like level three was so much better than the beginning levels. For example, I got to have tea before bed. That was so nice. Like just having a nice warm cup of tea and we were allowed to have some honey. That was probably the best privilege that we got. Like that was so exciting to me to have like some bedtime tea. I just really enjoyed being at the farmhouse versus fry like my whole perspective on ironwood kind of changed i was like oh it's not so bad like they treat us not so bad like we got to go on some trips off campus like we we did go like white water rafting and we did go um canoeing oh wow so this is a, a different world totally different world so this would be a good time for me to ask I, I think often i'm listening to this and i was just saying you know five months is a long time and the amount of time that people are there is you know, various you, I think you were there for a very long time, nine months, but I know that we've had guests on the podcast that were there for uh, over a year, upwards of 18 months. What is your day-to-day -day normally like 
for the first five months? How much of it is, consi- you know, is it mostly consisted of chores? Yeah, it's all chore based. I mean, even up at the farmhouse, like you're you're just used to the chores at that point. You just know that you're going to be doing more chores. So, you know, you just clean all day and you cook all day and then you go to school. There's not much else other than that. And if you do get to go off campus, like that is a privilege. You have to definitely earn that. They don't take everybody. Um, it's such a different experience. I mean, the chores at Fry were just sucked because if somebody wasn't doing them, you would get in trouble with the group where everybody at the farmhouse kind of just did their chores and like if somebody like fucked up the chores that single person would get in trouble or punished instead of the whole group so just less group punishments was a big deal with the chores like it was nice to just do my chores and be like okay i did my chore like i'm fine i don't have to worry about like so and so doing their chore i'm not going to get in a group punishment tonight and what are these pun what do these punishments look like we've talked about reflection or isolation are there other punishments? I know throughout the podcast there are sort of things like punitive uh, labor, like moving rocks and sawing wood has come up. It's- so group punishments look like if it was a really, really nice day, you don't go on a walk, you stay inside. Group punishments look like, oh, you want to complain about mail? Then guess who doesn't get mail for the next three days? The whole group. Somebody want to complain about mail? Okay, now the whole group's punished and nobody gets mail because you complained. You um, didn't do a chore right? Guess who has to deep clean the whole place now? The whole group, because you didn't do something correctly. Now the whole group is cleaning this place top to bottom, inside out, because you fucked up on the toilet. A group punishment literally looked like somebody complained, oh, this person had the book too long. That complaint means nobody gets books. It just sucked. Like anybody fucking up anything could literally make it just so much worse for everybody else. So in level three and four, less of this is more individual focused. So if someone makes a mistake, you kind of might see them get punished but you're okay you're yeah but at the farmhouse you're way way more on surveillance so if somebody does fuck up and you're around and they see that you're around and you don't snitch you're in way more trouble so snitching is way more encouraged i feel like snitching in our in levels one and two was like kind of just like a petty thing like a girl not liking another girl where like at the farmhouse you could have loved that person but you still have to snitch on them because the program that's how they get to get you with a cult kind of thing. It's like, if you're in the room, you already know you're being recorded. You already know somebody's going to look at the recording. If you saw somebody sneak a piece of food or if you saw somebody talking to somebody else and you were a part of that, you are required to tell the staff. Because if you don't tell the staff and they look back on the cameras and they see that you were there and you witnessed it, you're a witness and you're going to get punished too. So those were the only time of things in the farmhouse. Like you were definitely like told to snitch more. That's for sure. But there was less of that. There was less of people breaking rules because nobody wanted to get sent back down. You already knew if that you were in front of a camera and you watched your friend, even if they're your friend, do something. You could literally play, oh, I didn't see it, I didn't know. Or you could just be like, yeah, and just admit to it and then just save yourself from the trouble that they're about to get into. So. And at that point, largely because of the, the kind of improvement in your material condition, your loyalty is to the authority of Ironwood and not to your peers. Yeah, sort of... it's for their program too. You're helping them with their program at this point. That's how they like made it. Right, okay. Made it out, yeah. So you mentioned the word cult just then. Would you describe Ironwood as what, cult-like? Or, or do you mean just the this process that we're talking about of ascending through the levels, becoming more compliant? Yeah, that's cult-like, isn't it? It's, yeah, well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I don't know. I've Again, as someone, as an outsider, and I'm sure a lot of the people who listen to this podcast who are outsiders will feel the same, it's sort of, it's so baffling, it's so different, it's so unusual, it's hard to pin it down, you know, it's, is it prison, is it a boarding school, is it a cult, it sort of sounds like it's all three mixed up in, in a way, 
Um, and I know that part of the process for you of Code Adam is sort of unraveling the mystery of the troubled teen industry at large. During the podcast, a lot of stuff has come up about money. We've, uh, in your story here, we're now six months in. How much money have they spent? Or has any parent spent of any resident that I would at this point six months in? So depending on if your kid needs extra medication or extra therapy or whatever they're there for, it could be nine grand a month to up to 15 grand a month. Me personally, I think I was nine and a half grand a month. Okay, so let's say 10,000 just to be easy on average for each resident. At this point, we're a $60,000 investment in. That's huge. That's massive. So that's huge for anyone. But yeah. a, a normal middle class family, that is huge. It's a huge amount of investment. It's, it's a university degree yeah. that oh we've invested God, yeah. in in six months of, would you describe top quality care? Are you getting the best? Are these staff that <laughs> are around minimum. you? bare minimum care if not like so these people aren't you wouldn't obviously we're up in maine you're not getting the best and the brightest counselors and therapists you're getting a staff who literally just graduated from college and they're getting paid 13 dollars an hour to take care of teenagers who have who are literally like one's gone through a sexual assault one's gone through a heroin with a withdrawal and one is trying to avoid prison that's what i'm getting and then i'm just being told to shut up i think like with the money because we used to talk about the money a lot like especially in level one and two, because you, you know, the staff can be like, shut up, code of silence, but you're going to still like be able to get away with a few things, a few snide remarks, especially if you just get off reflection. You're like, the fuck? Like my parents are spending 10 grand. Like the kids would be like saying that. And I'd be like, what? Like, so I remember knowing very well how much my parents were spending like pretty, pretty soon into the program. Which also for a kid must add to the pressure, no matter what, how you feel about your parents, you're going to know that them spending X per month is a big deal. So you talked about um, being able to be taken down from level two to level one. Is it possible after all of this to go down from level three back down? Yeah, easily. So if I did anything to that broke a rule that was, I mean, what got people sent down? Like if a boy talked to a girl or passed a note to a girl, that happened sometimes. Like there were girls and guys who were like 17, 18. Like I was 14. I wasn't looking at any boys. I was like, oh my God, the fuck, where am I? But there were a couple like older kids who had like been in and out of treatment for quite a while. And they would be like, oh, he cute. I'm going to send him a note. Like I'm going to put it in a book and they're going to get my note. And those kids would get sent down. The kids who would steal food would just kind of get, uh, like they would lose a shower night or like they would have to work, do more work or they had to pick up somebody else's chore or something like that. But if you did something bad, like if you, there's like a few things, it really depended. I don't know. I never got sent down. So I don't really know like what kind of things people got sent down for. Cause that's like another thing is somebody's getting punished. You don't really know why. If it's a reflection really like self-harm could definitely get you sent down. So if you did any kind of self-harming that could get you sent down. So if you get sent down, obviously there's a delay to your uh, time of treatment, the time you're going to stay there. Yeah. Oh my God. Because sometimes it's really fucked up because it's like depending on the kid and and the parent situation and the way that they knew they can like either. There's a lot of parents who are like, no, I want my kid out of here sooner. And then there's a lot of parents who are like, how are they doing? Like really easy to like to take advantage of and to like be like, yeah, oh, it sucks. Your kid did this. So we're going to, you know, depending on the situation, like if the parents were like very much involved and very much like on Ironwood's radar of like, don't abuse my kid, then maybe like Ironwood wouldn't send your kid down for like a specific thing. Whereas another kid who kind of did the same thing would get sent down because Ironwood knew they could take advantage of the parents and twist the story and be like, it's worse than it actually is. So I could, I definitely could see that happening. And it's really fucked up that like, 
even in these situations, like if the parents are like, no, 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 send my kid back up, punish them and then send them back up. I've seen that happen too, like where the kid would get sent down for like three days to be like put on reflection and then sent right back up. Like didn't really have to spend any time at Fry. Where I also saw other kids get sent down and then have to rework their way up from level one back to level two, back to level three. So then they're spending so much more time down at Fry. And it really, I really felt like it depended on like how well Sue and Wes could like manipulate a situation and how much money they wanted to pocket from these parents. And like the kid always got blamed, obviously the kids, the kid, they're like, oh, why did, why did you fuck up? You're just trying to take my money. I know kids who've heard that from parents. Right. So you think there's naturally, obviously there's, there's some, well, there's a quite a big financial incentive for any treatment center or any company that's charging $10,000 per month to have any kid there for a, a longer amount of time. More oh, yeah. more months, more money to, to the tune of tens of thousands of dollars. And it sounds like, obviously, this is all speculation, isn't it? You don't know any of this. It's just your perception of things was that they would consider who could pay and who would pay yeah. in terms of sending people up and down. So it wasn't treatment focused. Presuming you don't get sent down and you didn't get sent down, congratulations, <laughs> um, you'd get on to level four and that's, <clears throat> you presumably you get there through just a continued compliance uh, and, and not getting in trouble. How do you finish? What's the final boss of Ironwood? How do you graduate Ironwood? So the last level in your binder and goals, you always have to complete goals. So like level one, you had to learn how to like build a fire, build a tent, start a fire, stuff like that. So everyone has the same goals. Yeah, you have the same goals. Level two is more like wilderness stuff. It's like learning how to like tell trees apart, stuff like that, really simple. Level three, I don't really remember anything other than like working on family therapy. Like level three was mostly focused on family therapy and, and like your relationship with your family. And then level four, your last goal is like a solo, what they call a solo. And it's basically like you, you're you supposed to give it, be given your last thing of freedom where you just go the whole day doing whatever you want on campus, basically. Like you can go wherever you want on the campus. You have to spend the whole night outside. So you pitch a tent, you build a fire, you cook your own food, you take anything you want from the house. Like you take the food you want for them from the house, you take you know all your flashlights all of your gear and then you just go on a solo and you can pinch your time wherever you want on the campus like it's this huge campus so i had like so many places i could go i enjoyed it a lot of people get scared because the coyotes are really loud in maine and especially at night especially if you're cooking food like it's like your last mission at ironwood it's like they fully trust you and how at this point in the program how are you feeling towards the program inside you because obviously outwardly i guess to graduate you have to show like hey i'm into this i agree like this is right this is correct inside what are you feeling is it has it worked has have you been brainwashed or are you pretending to be brainwashed no i've been fully brainwashed at this point i felt on top of the world i felt like i felt like i was like the best i'd ever been at this point like i felt like also i was really scared i was really scared to leave the program at, at level four, I just was like, oh, I, like, this is so comfortable now. I'm so used to this. Like, now I have all these privileges and I don't have to, like, you know, ask so much. Level four was not bad at all, in my opinion, just because I'd been through, like, fucking shit at level five. Like, level one was so hard. I felt fine. I felt like, oh, man, I had really just gone through it. Like, I'm really, like, strong. I'm, like, this really strong, courageous person who's just been through this, like, you know, I really truly believed like, ah, oh, I'm just better than everyone now. Like I just experienced all this stuff. I'm really grateful for everything I have. Like I'm going to go back to my family and like, 
I'm going to be able to have a good relationship with them. I was really nervous about going home though. I'm not going to lie. Like I was really scared. I was so comfortable, comfortable at the program at that point, like comfortable with the staff. I made, you know, comfortable with the way of communicating with girls. And, um, it was just difficult. Like it was difficult thinking about leaving. I didn't want to leave really. And Ironwood, I know they give you a contract yes. for going home. So they continue their rules in to some degree into your house when you go back, right? Yes. So they definitely like my mom and dad had written a contract, basically no drugs, no going anywhere without asking. We have to know who you're going with. Uh, you'll have to earn back a phone. You have to earn back X, Y, Z. So that trust. idea of like getting privileges. So yeah. This is Otherwise you can't live here is what the contract said. My first day of high school when I got back was weird. I just remember because I went to a boarding school that was academic based, not therapy based once I got home. So obviously it was just a school like there was none of this. So just a regular, just a boarding, regular school, boarding school. school. Yeah, like okay. you're literally just at school. And I remember everybody's getting ready to go to lunch and they're walking there. And I just remember thinking like, what? We don't need a teacher to escort us to lunch, the lunchroom. Like we can just walk there ourselves. That's crazy. There's just so many. I was like, what? Like. Did you articulate this to any of your peers or did you, were you kind of sensible enough to keep it in? Like, you know, it was... I think I did ask the, this one girl, I was like, what, we can, are we, we're allowed to go to lunch? I said that. And she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh. And I just remember being excited. Yeah. And I was really ashamed of Ironwood as well. Like, I definitely felt like embarrassed that I'd been there and I didn't know how to tell anyone about it. Like, it was such a weird thing for me to tell anyone about. The first person I told about was Ryan, um, who ended up being on my school bus. And we just got close. We just got close. And I remember telling him a little bit about it. But it just, it's such a hard thing to describe to people and for them to understand it fully. Like, and I would just, like, if I explained something that sounded abusive, they'd be like, what the hell? I'd be like, no, no, no. But it was really good because I was a bad kid and it taught me this. And I would defend the program, defend the program, defend the program, mostly because I think I was embarrassed. I didn't really want people to think, oh, this is a damaged, traumatized girl. Because at that time, I didn't feel like I was damaged or traumatized. I felt like I was really like strong and really like been through something super unique that gave me an upper hand in life when the reality was I had just suppressed years of fucking trauma that was like and i was literally just taught how to deal with narcissists basically okay this is how you um communicate with narcissists and this is how you appease them and please them and to, like to do the least amount of damage basically would you say then that perhaps the ironwood model it doesn't heal trauma necessarily but it might prepare a child for living in a, an abusive home situation that's yeah because it's better than ironwood essentially I would definitely say that that felt that feels true. Like I definitely did not feel like my parents were ever going to believe me about anything I said was bad about Ironwood. Like they were fully like Ironwood saved everyone. Like they didn't care. Like, well, they at this point, so you were there for nine months. So they've spent nearly a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So why I'm not going to say anything negative about Ironwood. Right. Like, if you've invested a hundred thousand dollars in your daughter's treatment, you're gonna want to believe it was the right decision and that they didn't abuse your kid. Would you say, knowing how much money they spent and knowing that a hundred thousand dollars is a huge amount of money, would you say that that, um, that added a pressure on you to, to say Ironwood was good? Oh yeah, definitely. I felt like Ironwood... And I mean, I also was convinced as well that I wasn't traumatized at this point. I felt like I didn't know any better. I didn't know any other types of therapy before Ironwood. Like I didn't know that there was talk-based therapy and that there was like ways to get over trauma, especially the trauma I experienced other than Ironwood. And I just thought, okay, like suppression, 
makes sense. You're stronger now. You don't have to always think about the past. Don't be in the past. Be in the present moment. Like all these weird coping skills that they gave me, I just really felt like, okay, yeah. But I never really acknowledged that I just suppressed years of trauma. So as soon as I got out of Ironwood, not only did I believe that I'd been helped, but I also was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give it back. Like I'm going to give it back to my parents. I'm going to be such a good kid. I'm going to be, I'm going to appreciate that everything I get, like everything was such a blessing. You get out of Ironwood and you're like, the fucking sunrise is a blessing. You're like fucking praying to God being like, thank you so much for making such a pretty, beautiful sunrise because I haven't seen one in so long. Just stuff like that. Like going home, seeing my dog, like everything just felt like, it just felt brand new and so amazing and like such a blessing like I just was all on top of the world I was high as fuck off life it felt so good to get out of Ironwood so good and I just remember thinking like wow the money yeah I'm gonna have to pay that back somehow so I'm gonna just be the best kid I've ever been ever and this is all again you think reinforces the brainwashing reinforces part of the whole business model of Ironwood oh yeah is there anything else you wanted to talk about Um, I mean, I'm sure we'll bring it up in other episodes, but I wanted to thank you personally for helping me acknowledge some of the abuse because I think it's really interesting that I would like share these stories with people for so long. And if they brought up the fact that, oh, well, why did they do that if it was such a minuscule issue? Or like, why do you think that that behavior is allowed? And I would I would just get defensive and I would say like, oh, because it taught me this, because it taught me that. And you were just the only person that I ever had in my life that was like, you know, question a little bit more, you know, your mom is a therapist. So you actually know, you know, what mental health problems are and how people are able to cope with them and work through them. And I feel like I didn't even acknowledge that Ironwood maybe was abusive until you started questioning a lot of the things that they put me through, even though maybe I didn't deserve them. Same thing with other girls that went through them. Like we all kind of just made excuses for the behavior that we uh, were subject to, but it doesn't make it like, okay, it doesn't mean that I wasn't abused. And yeah, so thanks for helping me find my voice and like uncover a lot of it. I think your questions and like the way that you helped me like understand some of it has been really, really helpful for me and for like everybody else who's finding their voice because I don't think I deserved a lot of that. I don't think it helped me at all. And like, even though in the moment I was like talking very highly about Ironwood doesn't mean that it wasn't because I was brain. I was literally brainwashed. So at the end of these podcasts, at the end of each episode, you always thank the guests so thank you and and i mean that on behalf of everyone that listens i think i've seen as many messages as you have of people saying how much this means to them and it's because people who have experienced this who listen to this podcast and who have the opportunity to come on this podcast it is uh the one thing that ironwood and programs like this don't want it's to bring to light the truth of the practices and it's for kids to realize i say kids adults young adults to realize that what they've been through is not only um very unusual but it's also in a lot of ways wrong it's abusive and it's and it's bad practice so you always end your podcast by thanking the guests so thank you i thank you on behalf of everyone who listens to code adam for setting it up and you also say thank you for helping us break code silence so my last question is what does that mean to you i think breaking my silence is not only breaking you know, the silence by sharing my story and describing the abuses, but it's also acknowledging that it was abuse. I think a lot of us leave the program and we think, oh, it wasn't, we weren't abused. Uh, Other people have it worse. Other people's stories are more traumatic. We compare trauma and I don't think that's healthy. I think in breaking my silence, I'm also breaking the brainwashing and I'm, I'm 
undoing it. And I'm telling you that this is my story and it is valid and everybody's story is valid. And it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, sugarcoat it anymore. These programs deserve to be called out. I honestly believe that a lot of the kids who've been in these programs deserve reparations and they deserve to be able to afford therapy for it and medication. Healthcare is not free. A lot of these kids like don't have very healthy parent relationships. So in telling my story and and in acknowledging this abuse, I'm also uh, breaking silence for other people and helping them wake up to the abuse that maybe you didn't acknowledge before. So that's what my breaking code silence is. It's acknowledging abuse that's been silenced and forgotten and unacknowledged. Well, I think you do an amazing job with Code Adam. It's brilliant. It's a really good thing that you do. I've seen, as I said again, I've seen the messages. It has saved lives. Um, so well done. And this is uh, exactly what the troubled teen industry didn't want. And I assume, you know, they didn't know that they were uh, doing this to a bunch of Zoomers that would end up making podcasts and telling everyone about it. And all of you have the same story. So you can't be called liars anymore because you you all have the same tale to tell. So, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us for this episode of Code Adam. Join us next time when we'll have another survivor share their story with us.